Welcome to Bike Med. These are podcasts on biking medicine from the University of Utah School of Medicine. This is Richard Ingebretson from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Welcome to our podcast series. We're always grateful for when you take the time to listen uh, to this and be sure to tell other people about it. And remember to go to www.wildmedu to learn more about the subjects that our School of Medicine teaches where you can learn about outdoor sports. Today, we're going to talk about equipment and some of the equipment that we use. And it's, uh, we take that for granted a lot of times. When we do outdoor sports, we just buy the equipment that you think you need without putting much thought into it, helmet, gloves, or in the case of biking, the bike you get. But uh, uh, the equipment not only can make the sport uh, go better and can make it uh, go more safely. And so uh, today we're going to talk about biking, specifically about uh, mountain biking and the equipment that is related to that. Today we have an expert on that, and we're always glad when experts come on our podcast to uh, help us. This is Xander Lyman, who is an expert on biking equipment. Xander, welcome. Thank you, Rich. So today I wanted to start off by talking about helmets. I think having a high-quality helmet is the most important piece of gear because it protects your brain. So for most types of cycling, I would argue that having a helmet, the few key things you want to look for is you want it to be relatively lightweight, have vents so it cools your head better. And there are certain technologies like MIPS that help with rotational impacts. Those are a little more expensive, but I think having spending money on a helmet is probably the most worthwhile investment. There are lots of different sizes and manufacturers, but I think going just going into a, your local bike shop is a great way to get a good option. Kind of going along with that, sunglasses are very important for cycling, not just to protect your eyes from the sun, but they can also help shield your eyes from dust, bugs, rocks, debris, etc. Anything you don't want in your eyes. I would say the main thing to look for with this would be a UV 400 rating. This means that it will protect your eyes from harmful rays. All right, the next topic I want to cover is the bike. I think besides a helmet, this is probably the most important piece of gear. I will also mention that most of these recommendations going forward are for cross-country style riding and NICA riders here in the United States, but these are good recommendations in general. So I would say the first tip for this is getting the correct size. This is a very common mistake to get the incorrect size, so this is very, very, very crucial. I would am going to be using feet and inches for this, but if you use centimeters, you can just use a conversion. So an extra small size would be under five feet. Five foot four inches would be a small. Five foot four to five nine would be a medium. Five foot nine to six inches is a large and above six feet tall. Look for an extra large. You would want either an uh, XC hardtail or a full suspension. These will have between 100 and 120 millimeters of suspension travel. Sandra, and, I have a question, and I don't mean to yeah. interrupt you there, but would you please, uh, uh, some of the riders that are listening won't know a lot of the stuff, but explain the difference between a, a hardtail and a softtail or what, what all that means. Yeah, so a hardtail means you only have suspension in the front of your bike under your front wheel. That will be in the form of a suspension fork. A full suspension will have both a fork and shock with travel. 
will be slightly heavier and more expensive, but it gives you better traction and comfort. It's also better for advanced riders because it's more versatile. So why do you, why would you uh, want a shock absorber or why would you not want a shock absorber on the front or back exactly? Well, I think for mountain biking, you always want some form of suspension. In most cases, this is just going to help with comfort, smooth out the trail, and give you more control. However, I think there is a place for a hardtail. They're usually more cost-effective and lighter, so entry-level bikes will usually be made of aluminum and a little bit heavier, but this is more durable than a carbon fiber option. They will also sometimes have a front derailleur, I would highly recommend having a one-by chainring up front. This means you will have one chainring up front and only be shifting out back. This is a lot easier and helps with chain drops. I have a question to ask, and this is partly unrelated, except that it just came into my mind right now. Um, I have a mountain bike, but when I bought it, there were some young kids there who were obviously riders, mountain bike riders, and they told me that I needed to get a handlebar that would automatically drop. Uh, with a pr- push of a button so that when you went down a hill or over something, you wouldn't tip over. What are your thoughts on that for m- the the racing bike or the what you the mountain bikes? What do you think? Yeah, that's a great topic. So what Rich is talking about is a dropper seat post where you would normally have your shifter for the front derailleur. There will be a lever under the bar. You can press this and then sit on your seat and it will go down. I think in pretty much every case on mountain bikes, this is worth having at this point. It only adds about half a pound, and it is a major advantage for handling the bike in any situation where you want a little bit more mobility. So you would you would recommend that. How about for uh, the more casual rider, that some that's just going on a simple trail, not racing, that is, not, you're going to go up hills and downhills, but they're with the, just general simple riding. You still think that? Yeah, I think for everybody, from a beginner to an expert, this will give you an advantage and more confidence on the bike for sure. That's interesting because the bike I have, I chose not to do it, but you can tell that uh, there are times that I wish uh, that it could. Well, what next do you think we should study? Um, I think it's good to go over tire choice because there's a lot of different options and it can be very confusing considering all the different models and brands, widths, tire casing, how strong they are. There's a lot of different things to unpack here. Well, like, uh, what? tell us more about the tires specifically. Yeah, so just like skis, there's a couple different subcategories of cycling. Like I mentioned previously, I'm mainly talking about cross-country So a cross-country tire will typically be lighter weight than other options. It will also have a lower profile tread. It will look more similar to a road bike tire. This is faster rolling, and they are typically 2.2 to 2.4 inches wide. Some good examples of these are a Maxxis Aspen, Maxxis Ardent Race, or options from Specialized are the Fast Track and Renegade. So um, uh, how do you prevent those tires from popping, especially in a race or if you're in a fast situation? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the most important things when shopping for tires, if your rims and wheels allow it, is for them to be tubeless. Just like your car, this means they will have a sealant, which is essentially a liquid that when the tire is punctured, it will help seal holes in your tire up to a certain point. All this is uh, really good advice, and um, 
So I know we can go online and find people like yourself to help guide us, those of us who don't uh, know as much about bikes as you do. One question I have uh, is uh, about hydration. And if you're in the middle of a ride, or it's particularly if you're in a race, what's the best way to uh, get liquid into you? Yeah, so most beginner riders, I would say, would typically use a hydration pack. I personally would choose to use a water bottle on your bike in these situations. It's going to be a little bit lighter, not as easy to access, but it will stay in place. You won't have extra weight on your back. I think that's a good advantage. Hydration and fueling is extremely important for cycling. I think it's way more important to be fueled and hydrated during races and rides than people think. You generally want to take in between 16 and 25 ounces of water per hour. This will be about one water bottle amount. And for fueling, you want to take in carbohydrates. The general rule starting out is to take anywhere between 30 and 60 grams of carbs per hour. This could be through a drink mix, gels, granola bars. This is the most essential fuel source for endurance sports. You will also want to carb load the day before races to make sure your glycogen stores are topped off. I personally think if you are doing racing, having something in your water like a mix is great because you're getting carbs and hydration at the same time. That's always good. Um, what do you, and do you, when you uh, put water, do you put electrolytes in it or do you drink a pre-made drink that has electrolytes in it or do you just uh, drink water? Um, that's a great question. Most of these drink mixes that are cycling specific will have some electrolytes built in. So not only are you getting the carbs and the hydration, you're getting some electrolytes also. I've always wondered what's the best clothing for biking. I I know the, the bike seat's important, uh, so the, uh, you have to have special pants for those. But how do you get rid of the heat from your body that's generating and the moisture that comes off you? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say for cross-country style riding, you're going to want tight-fitting bike-specific clothes. This is essentially what you wear for road biking also. These are typically made of thin fabrics like lycra, spandex, nylon, or polyester. These all help wick sweat away from your skin and are very breathable. And like you said, Rich, they will have pads in the shorts to enhance your comfort and avoid any discomfort. You will want tight-fitting clothing for this type of application because it enhances the sweat wicking, prevents chafing and rubbing, and it is a little more aerodynamic for what that's worth. One common misconception about this type of clothing is that you maybe want it to be a little bit loose. It's really hard to get the correct sizing, to be honest. I would say to a point, if you can put it on, it's not too small. This is going to feel very weird at first, admittedly, but the tighter, the better to a point. So uh, tight that it keeps your legs and arms moving or just tight that it's tight on your torso? Um, it should be pretty tight everywhere with not a, a bunch of wrinkles. There are other types of clothing that are looser fitting, but for this type of application, it should be pretty tight in general. What about uh, socks? I know when I uh, teach uh, hiking, I really preach wool on, on the feet to wick water away, uh, merino wool and others. What about uh, socks for biking? Yeah, that's a great topic. I think for starters, it is not absolutely essential to have cycling socks. Any socks from the store will work just fine. However, having cycling-specific socks can be nice. 
Similar to the clothes, bike socks are typically thin and made of materials with good wicking properties like polyester, lycra, or wool like you mentioned, Rich. How much, uh, so how about, should they go up your uh, leg or should they be level with the shoe? Um, I think just for cycling fashion in general, they usually extend a little bit above the ankle, kind of mid-thigh length. But if you have any high-quality sock, it doesn't make a huge difference. Um, Cycling-specific socks typically use thin seams. This helps avoid pressure points and sores on your feet. But like I mentioned in the beginning, you can use just normal socks. Kind of going along with this, shoes are a super important part for cycling. For your cross-country style riding, you will want clipless pedals and shoes. This is where your shoe has a cleat on the bottom that physically bolts into it, and this will snap into your pedal. There is a learning curve with these since you have to twist your foot out instead of just pulling up, but I think just going to the park for a couple of days and practicing hundreds of times getting the motion down is a great way to learn the motion without getting hurt on the trail. The reason you want to use this type of pedal and shoe system is because it allows for better transfer to the pedals and gives you a locked-in feel. It's important for clipless pedals to have a stiff sole on the bottom. This will typically be made out of carbon fiber or a hard composite base layer. This can add to comfort and it also will distribute the pressure over your foot better if you're using the right insole. They're typically measured in European sizing. So for reference, I use a size 44, which is about a 10 and a half in US sizing. This is a great way to improve your performance and comfort at the same time. So lastly, I wanted to go over some racing tips. This will not apply to everybody, but for those of you who are racing, I think this will be very helpful. It's super, super important to get there at least two hours early This is just to help with any issues that could happen. You don't want to be stressed out 10 minutes before your race trying to scramble and get everything together. And you also want to eat two to three hours before your race. This should be something pretty carb heavy like pancakes or oatmeal. This will help fuel your body to its best ability. You will also want to do a warm up before your race. This will just help you get your body primed and ready to go. This can be as simple as just riding around for 20 to 30-ish minutes before your race. It doesn't have to be anything super complicated, and this will greatly help your performance. In cross-country racing, you also don't want to start too hard. It's very easy at the start. Your adrenaline is rushing really hard to go out way harder than you can sustain, and this will ruin your race because then you will be severely limited in how fast you can go for the rest of the race. One last tip I have is just simply ride your bike more. You don't necessarily need a super complicated training plan to get better. Just going out and riding more than you did the previous year will help you get a lot better. Well, those are just remarkable uh, tips about the equipment and about biking in general and and racing uh, that is done. Uh, We don't uh, usually get a lot of uh, uh, experts talking about the... uh, how to pick the uh, correct equipment. So we're very grateful that you were able to come today, Xander, and uh, be with us. Well, this ends the podcast on equipment and biking. And as always, we say thank you for listening.